Hey guys, this week, instead of just putting out the usual episode of Cast Dice, I'm actually going to take a look back in time. Now, with the recent resurgence of the Ghost Army podcast and the Bolt Action Alliance Mission Pack, the 2020 version that has just come out, I have been really looking at Bolt Action again um, and been listening to a lot more Bolt Action podcasts. And one of the subjects that I've been really interested in hearing more about is something uh, is one of my favorite conflicts from World War II, which is the Winter War. Now, there are some great histor- uh, history podcasts on this topic, but there aren't too many topics. Uh, this, this hasn't been tackled by too many bolt action podcasts. So I actually had some help from Actar Draft, who dug back into time and pulled up an old episode of the LRDG2, which was the podcast that was um, the original version of this. Uh, it had a lot more bolt-action content, but it also covered other games as well, and its early format paved the way for what we know as Cast Dice today. Now... He pulled uh, an episode for me, which was episode five from July 26th, 2016. Now, I have gone back and cut out other parts of that episode, but I've left in one of the topics covered, which was uh, when my when I had David Hunter, Uber Grouper, from the Down Order podcast on, and we talked at length about how to build a fin list for the Winter War. So we talked both about the conflict and about the units every unit from the FID list that uh, the Finns would have used in that conflict. And so it is a fairly exhaustive look both at the conflict and the units that were used in it from the Finnish perspective, which is, of course, one of the great David versus Goliath moments in history where a vastly technologically and numerically superior army, the Soviets, uh, invaded Finland and were soundly beaten during one of the worst winters Uh, in recent history in that neck of the woods. It is truly a great story and worth looking into. There are tons of great books, and at the end of this episode, you can hear some of those. Guys, I'm sorry, this is old. Um, We've cut out most of the dated references. In fact, I think I've cut out all the .NET references that are in here. It should all work for version 2 of Bolt Action because version 1 and version 2 are very similar. Uh, the only thing you might need to excuse, and I apologize in advance, is when I recorded this, I did not have the pop filter on my mic, so it does get a little poppy. Enjoy. I thought it would be really cool to go back to another army that I'm quite another, I'm a big fan of, um, that is rarely seen. Uh, what I'm talking about are the Finns. But before I get into that, I have to introduce my other panel member this this fine evening. It is chilly in Melbourne, and I did spend the day hanging out in a you know refrigerator unit preparing for the Finns, but... I did dial in someone from a much warmer climate at the moment, and I think that's warmer only, what, one month a year? And that would be the UK. David Hunter, a.k.a. Uber Gruber of the Down Order, welcome to the LRDG. How you doing? Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's, it is pretty hot here. Uh, this is probably the coolest day of the year, well, of the year, of the week of the week so far it's we only get one hot week a year this is it um and it is it's really muggy and um sweaty 
So my oh. wife is from Scotland, and she says that in the UK, or at least in Scotland or Glasgow, when it gets to be that time of year and it gets to be that hot, uh, I believe the phrase is "taps off." Is that only a Scottish thing, or do you know what I'm talking about? That would, but that would be largely a Glasgow thing, I think. But yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So sun's out, guns out. I think is what the rest of the world says on that particular uh, phrase. But uh, yeah, so. Now that you are fully in the mood by sitting in a very hot place, <laughs> let's talk Finland. Now, you and I play a particular flavor of Finland that now a lot of people might be saying when I said earlier, oh, Finland isn't that rare. There are Finn players around. Well, from what I've seen of Finn players internationally going off of social media and or tournament standings, most Finn players tend to play Continuation War or later. How do I know this? Because they all have BT-42s in their army. One of the rarest vehicles in the war seems to be one of the most common in Finn armies on the tabletop. Now, that is a later war thing. What we're talking about tonight is the Winter War, which is 1939, or the end of 39, beginning of 1940. Right? Right. Nice. So... Um, let's quickly talk context. Now, I am by no means an expert of history in this particular area, but I've done a little research. I've done some reading. I've done some listening to various historical podcasts on the subject, and um, I'd like to think I know a little bit of something here. So if we go back far enough, Finland was the western part of Sweden, the kingdom of Sweden. There was some sort of empire there for about 12 to 20 years um and then it all sort of fell apart and in that falling apart finland became part of the soviet union um and when that happened it was pre-soviet union it was back when it was russia under a czar and there uh there the, basically, the Russians let the Finns be Finns. They were still Finnish. They didn't surrender their Finnishness. Um, and that was one of the things that made the arrangement so successful. Um, and then at some point, um, Finland became independent. There was a, an, a war of independence. And it was about the same time that the Soviet Union became the Soviet Union. Stalin took over and... Yeah, all was great in the world, except for the fact that St. Petersburg, um, which later became Leningrad, um, was about, what, eight miles, 20 miles? Some ridiculously short period of distance from Finland's border. Um, so Peter the Great decided to put this great big European metropolitan city as close as he could to Europe. Now, that was great culturally for St. For Petersburg and Europe to get that flavor. However, from a security standpoint, it's kind of horrible because there's this massive city. And, of course, then they name the city Leningrad, and Stalin decides, hey, I really kind of want more defense around that city. And at the same time, he was sort of eating up part of Poland and other parts of uh, that area and decided, hey, you know what would also be great? Getting an ice-free port from Finland. So why don't we just, you know, cut out 
part of Finland. And through a whole lot of bullying and pushing around, the Soviet Union eventually just invaded Finland. Is that jive with your uh, understanding of the situation? Uh, yeah, more or less. I, mean, I think um, in after the First World War, um, the, the, the Finns had had a civil war of their own. Um, I can't remember whether it was exactly the same time as the Russians were having their civil war or whether it was a little bit later. I think it was but, a little uh, bit later, but ballpark similar time frame. Yeah. Um, and then when when they sort of came out of that, they, they had a... Um, the, the, their, their government was anti-communist. And I, I think a, a few Finnish communists had taken refuge in what was then the Soviet Union. Um, but um, even though I think their civil war had been rather bitter, um, what, the, what, what Stalin was counting on is that when he invaded, lots and lots of the, the Finns who had fought against um, the, the the more right wing Finns either wouldn't fight or 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 would or, or would join with the Soviet armies, right? Um, in which he was sadly disappointed. Yeah, yeah, in a, in a big way. Um, so the Soviet Union decides to they don't just invade; they drop the hammer on Finland. Um, now, it doesn't initially start this way, but over the course of the war, um, especially later in the war, when a second force gets dropped in on Finland, I think the numbers go to something like, imagine this, an invasion force three times the size that landed at D-Day. That's astounding. And that's just what the Soviet Union poured into Finland. Now, to give you an idea, it's not like Finland was France. I mean, we're talking about Germany at the same rough time is invading France, like the premier military superpower of the age at that point. Now, we make fun of France because, oh, you know, they all sort of fell apart. But Germany took down France in six, seven weeks, something like that, and they were the real deal militarily. Finland has, at that point, maybe 18 to 25 tanks. Uh, I I was having a hard time finding the actual numbers. They have almost no anti-tank capabilities because tanks weren't really a thing. Um, they, They were getting a lot of their military supplies from all over the place, including Sweden and, I mean... Once the war starts, more things start coming in. But they really don't have much. So when soldiers are going out to get tanks or to stop Soviet tanks, they're some, in a lot of cases, they're using logs or they are using the Molotov cocktail, which I believe was invented in this conflict by people yeah, thumbing their uh, nose at Molotov, the guy who wrote the treaty um, with Stalin. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It was an ironic reference to Molotov. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So what really comes down to here, and what they do really have going for them is, A, they're being invaded, and they really don't like that. Um, they want to keep their independence and their freedom in a big way. 
And two, because of the civil war that has happened, pretty much every farmer, dude, person out there has a Muslim against rifle. Like everyone and their dog is pretty much has the capability of being a sniper and everyone's armed and hey, it's go time. I mean, we're talking about the level of technology that has gone into their rifles is exactly what the Soviet troops are just getting as they walk across the border into Finland. So, I mean, they had that going for them, which was nice. Um, but it's why you see in a lot of the the lists for early war slash winter war, a lot of the Finn squads just look like rifle squads because they were using rifles. Now, I mean, we could talk about how not every rifle's the same and bolt action streamlines all that, but I think that would be getting off the topic. Um, so anything you'd like to add before I get into the actual conflict itself, Dave? Um, not only, um, well, uh, two things really. One, uh, you, you were talking about using iron bars and logs against tanks. Mm. Um, apparently, although they did do that, they were supremely ineffective. If you take a massive piece of wood and jam it into a tank trap, a track, what happens is you get a lot of very large splinters being fired out um, of the tank. It doesn't take the track off. Uh, with an iron bar, it's even more dangerous because what then happens is the iron bar just gets spat back out at you at relatively high velocity. Um, really, it's the Molotov cocktail was 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 the big thing, um, uh, uh, which is a bit of a shame because it's you know it's it's quite a nice thought having just somebody run with a bit of tree at a um, at a tank and disable it, but that wasn't. Um, uh, that unfortunately is a bit of a myth. It wasn't something um, that was terribly um, uh, that was terribly effective. Um, unfortunately, yeah. Um, well, one of the big defensive points that I mean, the Soviets don't even get to this for a while. But would you like to explain? Well, let me quickly. So the Winter War is basically fought um, in three areas. So it's fought across the Karelian Isthmus. Um, my spelling of this is all horrible because Finnish is all a series of vowels with strange symbols over the top. So I don't... <laughs> um, but there's um, Lake Ladoja, I believe, is another area where the, quite a bit of fighting happens. And then above that, up north, and of course my notes, I'm having a hard time reading them right now. Um... But there's a section up north that is essentially so cold and so horrible and so inhospitable that, um, or inhabitable, inhab- uh, that even the Finns go, yeah, they're not coming that way. And then the Soviets, of course, do anyway. Um, but part of that, the Karelian Isthmus, which really is just, for those of you who don't know what an Isthmus is, because um, I had to look it up, it's... It's a it's like a land bridge, a significantly wide land bridge, I might add, not just, you know, something to drive a tank across, but, you know, almost, a, you know, I'm not sure exactly how many kilometers we're talking, maybe 100, 100 miles, I'm looking at a map. So it's roughly about 100 to 200 miles wide. And in that place, there exists something called the Mannerheim Line. 
Um, and there's a couple of lines that happen along the way. There's the main line. There's a falling back line. There's, you know, the, oh, it's all gone wrong line. Um, and all of this sort of happens before um, the nearest Finnish city. Um, Dave, you know more about the Mannerheim line than I have ever known. So would you like to explain what that is and how it works? Okay, so the, the Mannerheim line is um, uh, effectively the, the Finnish equivalent of the Maginot line, except it's it's not nearly as uh, technologically advanced. Um, and the Maginot line had many defects, but it, it, it had gun turrets that could sink back down into the bunkers. It had massive guns emplaced in it, uh, and so on. The, the, the Finnish... Um, really was was just well camouflaged bunkers um mounting uh machine guns in the main um often from very narrow firing slits um so uh, you you're you're not talking about uh the traditional sort of bunker which tends to have a, a very long sort of wide but not very deep slit, like mm. you see um, in uh, in Private Ryan and so on, where they're, where they're firing out of the bunkers as they approach on D-Day. Right. These really are tiny little, um, uh, almost like um, in a medieval castle, the arrow slits, except smaller than that, for the machine guns to fire out of. So reasonable view out of the slits, but not actually very easy to identify where the where the firing point is until the machine gun actually starts opening up, um, and as you said, they had it wasn't just a line; it's a it's a position in depth. And one of the first things they did was they tore down all the structures that were um, between the line and the. Soviet border, so people's cottages and farms and so on, they were all burned down. Um, and there's a story about some old um, man whose you know, house he was born in, um, and they come and they say, "Look, sorry, we're, we're, we're going we're to have to burn your house down, and you're, you know you're going to have to um, you're going to have to move to position of safety behind the lines." Um, and obviously, he's, he's he's quite upset at losing his home, but he insists that he's the one who burns it down because he said that his his father had had to burn down his original house, and his grandfather had had to burn down the house before that. Oh wow! You know, in a in a, in a series of uh, series of invasions, possibly going back to Peter the Great's time. I don't know. There's, there's, there's almost certainly an element of myth about it. But like a lot of myths, it probably has a kernel of truth. You would have got people who, who lived in that area, which had been the scene of conflict over centuries, whose families would have burned down their houses as a defensive measure, or had them burned down by the enemy. Right. Um, you know, um, over a period of time. Um, so, yeah, they, they basically created a wasteland um, in front of the, 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 the forward positions. And the forward positions, really, they were only designed 
sort of delay the enemy. Um, and so they rigged lots of booby traps um, and so on. And the idea was just to delay the Russians for a bit to allow the bulk of the Finnish reserves to come up and reinforce the, 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 the main positions um, on the um, on the um, on the Mannerheim line. But that uh, which... isn't what really happens, is it? I mean, yes, that absolutely happens. But in the in in the face of one of the most shocking winners of that of recorded history, um, I think uh, some of the Finns on the line were checking their watches, saying, um, "When are they getting here?" Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's that's that, that's that's the other thing that the the um, as as you say, the weather was so severe that I think um, even though the, the the Russians probably didn't properly prepare for the war anyway, the the fact that they hadn't prepared very well was made much worse by the unexpected severity of the weather. Yeah. Now the Russians were completely. I mean, they. <laughs> He should have learned this lesson from history, given that, um, what is it, uh, Napoleon's forces froze um, fighting in in Russia. I mean, the, uh, clearly no one had learned the lesson of Hitler invading the Soviet Union um, in that winter conflict, because that hasn't happened yet. Um, this is still super duper early days. But um, yeah, they just weren't that prepared. And to give you guys at home an idea of exactly how cold this is, we're talking minus 20 to minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit during the day. Um, there was there was a thing where bodies were constantly freezing. People were freezing into positions. Um, often it, it is recorded that people are frozen standing up in this conflict. It is a, a thing where someone just, you know, ducks behind something and then freezes to death and stays there until they're thawed out later. Um, and it, basically one of the things I read in this conflict was it was so cold that one of the only things that kept people alive was their circulation. And if somebody had, for some reason, a, their, a drop in blood pressure, i.e., you know, even a really minor flesh wound, they would die and freeze, not instantly, but pretty quickly. It's really grim. Yes, and I think as well that the the fact that the Finns generally um, tended to have the benefit of shelter, either in yeah. um, dugouts or bunkers, but also they had better warm clothing yes uh, and, and warm food and what and and um and, and warm food and that is obviously going to make a colossal difference um whereas uh the the the, the soviets really just just um barely had adequate winter gear it's strange because even even their troops that they that were better prepared, like their ski troops, mm. weren't really very well trained for ski warfare. Some of them couldn't ski very well. I mean, it's, it's all very well to say, oh, put on a pair of skis, you'll be fine. But there is a bit more to skiing, even on relatively flat ground than that. And the Finnish were masters of it. Cross-country well, ski. 
Well, there's a reason for that. I mean, we talk about blitzkrieg tactics and Hitler's running rampant through France. Well, think about all of the roads and the networks of roads that were existing in that part of Europe at the time. I mean, he could just drive wherever he wanted. Meanwhile, the Soviets invading Finland took a look at maps and said, oh, there are roads here, there are roads here, there are roads here. But oftentimes those were dirt tracks, logging trails, um, and the Finns literally got around their day-to-day commute in the winter, often on skis. So these are people who, this is a this is daily life. They know how to use this stuff. And versus, you know, people who are barely trained or are not used to that at all. And having grown up in Boston, um, I can tell you, if you're not used to snow and ice, wow, it sucks. Um, yeah. So, mm. Anyway, one thing I was just going to add with the Russian ski troops, they, they, they were taught to fire their rifles. Um, uh, they, they, they've got a little manual, you know, how, how, to, how, how to fight on skis. And um, to, to be able to fire their rifles on skis was something that was in the manual. The Finns didn't do that because they knew that firing a rifle on skis is, is just going to end badly. Yeah. So what they did, was they, they they mastered the art of throwing grenades from skis, something that was actually much easier to do. You sort of speed along, chuck the grenade sideways, and use your momentum just to just to keep going. Um, ideally, of course, you're doing that through an enemy position, which they then later tended to do at night yeah. in ambushes. And skiing's quite quiet. It is. Um, so zooming through an enemy position on skis at night isn't as dangerous as you think it might be because you're not actually going to be making a huge amount of noise. Um, I mean, obviously the grenades will make a certain amount of noise, but then the enemy have got something else to worry about. Exactly. (laughs) And, and one of the, and one of the other big things, not only, and I'm glad you brought up the skis being quiet, but the Finns wore white. And I don't just mean they wore white. I mean, they wore white. Um, They wore a lot of white. Uh, I've been painting a Finn Winter War army on and off for years. And one of the reasons why it's taking me so long is because it is so tedious to paint everything in white. Now, I know that Tristan from the Bacon Burgers has been playing um, a a later war Finn force. But he's got a lot of guys in regular gray Finn uniforms with, you know, the almost German helmets and things like this. Um, though those were probably under a lot of the white uniforms in the Winter War, Winter War Finns tended to wear, if they were out in the field, white. Um, so they were, you know, if you've ever stood in an area that is snow everywhere and the sun's out or at night, it's in, you know, they would become almost invisible. Um, so they're silent they're invisible. Even if they're wearing white at night, they still blend into the background, which is all white. So it, it was shocking how effective they were. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, but particularly, for, as, as you said before, a force that was almost entirely just armed with rifles. They had a crippling lack of light machine guns. Yeah. Um, and although they did capture, they captured a lot of Russian weaponry quite yeah, early did. on. 
So they were they were able to make up that shortfall. They didn't even have very many mortars. Artillery was extremely limited, um, and as as you've said before, they had they had next to no tanks. This is is almost like the semi mythical American Minutemen. Yes. Although, as I'm from Boston, I feel like this conversation might get controversial very quickly. <laughs> are we talking about the American War of Independence or the American, what is the, what's the thing the British call it? The uh, War oh. of Ingratitude? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. All right, back to the fence. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, God, man, it's just the... But I think it's really important that we go back to what you just said. Soviet troops were dying in droves. I mean, in in numbers that are staggering. 100, 100,000, 200,000 troops wounded or dead. And if they, they were wounded, they usually died. I mean, horrible numbers of Soviet troops were dying to the tune of, I, and I've read conflicting amounts, but to the tune of, Seven Soviet troops died to one Finn. Now, that's crazy numbers, but they just kept forcing dudes in. Part of this was the weather. Part of this was the Soviets not being prepared for the terrain, for the weather, for the type of combat that was being fought. But a large amount of that came down to poor leadership um, apparently Stalin in his, I'm going to take over Russia. Oh, I've taken over Russia. Now I'm going to make sure no one tries to get rid of me the way that I got rid of Trotsky. So I'm going to get rid of anyone who might be critical of me. And he did away with, and I, again, con- conflicting numbers have been reported on this. Um, something like 220 out of 280 of the top military minds um, including the best ones, um, were sent to Siberia, killed, outright shot, just done away with. So who was left? Well, people who weren't going to be threatening. A bunch of incompetence and yes-men. So not really the military minds that you really want running your force. Um, eventually he does send some, Stalin sends someone capable in, but that's not until months into the war. Uh, at this point, the Finns have literally, I mean, Soviets are dying left, right, and center, and they are it's like a bad video game. They're leaving their supplies everywhere, and the Finns are just walking around, you know, wounding somebody, waiting them for them to die, taking their supplies, going back. Um, or they're doing their, their moti, moti tactics, where they cut off portions of the Soviet troops, the parts that are really threatening. They're wiping those out and leaving everyone else in their positions on either side, you know, to be paranoid and stay there where they starve and freeze at the same time. Turns out you don't have to really kill anyone if they freeze. So, yeah. The Finns were really good at picking their battles and disappearing the rest of the time when they could. Um, Would you agree with that? Yes, I mean the the, the multi tactics were. Um, you alluded to the you know the narrow roads, and most of yeah. the Russian vehicles were road bound. Um, I know there is this rule in bolt action that says Russian tanks are amazing in the snow. Um, <laughs> Not in this war. 
Really, no, not in, not in the Winter War, if ever, but definitely not in the Winter War. So, in, in, in particularly as you get further and further north, the Russian columns were entirely road bound, and where the roads are going through forests, what the Finns would do mm-hmm. is they would let part of the column go past. They'd bring down some trees, creating a roadblock, uh, and then further back, they'd bring down more trees, and they'd split the column into sections. And then, as you said, they would attack one of the sections and they'd force that in away from the roadblocks and the other ones until you had little pockets of men who were running out of ammunition, um, whose vehicles couldn't move off the road. Many of the vehicles had probably been destroyed. Then the Finns would attack at night, often on ski. Mm -hmm. And there is a rather good War Games, uh, Warlord Games uh, scenario built around that, which I can't remember where it was. It might have been... Um, Is it the Ostfront it book? A, it might be in the Ostfront book, yeah. Oh, um, wait, or is it... Yeah, I think it's the Ostfront book because it's. I think the Winter War is in there. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I think it might be in that, but it has... The idea behind that is that, yeah, you're, you're, you're really trying to chop the... You know, the, 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 the Soviet force in two and then prevent the bits of the two the, the two divided sections from joining um, uh, back up together. But yes, they, they, they just um, cut them up like salami, really. Exactly. And the Soviet troops were, because these were so narrow, these trails were so narrow and so thin, they were forced just going forward because there were so many troops and vehicles and everything else behind them, they couldn't turn around. They were stuck. Um, and yeah, they were just taken apart piecemeal and just eliminated. It was, it was brutal. Um, yeah, it was one of those sort of ultimate underdog fights that it's just incredible the amount of resources that were just dumped into Finland. Um, and, fin- and what was the saying? Finland holds. Um, there was a particular part of Finland. Um, it was a particular... I think it cola, cola stands or cola holds. Um, and it was one of those things that the Soviets planned on just plowing through and the Finns at the, at, at the Mannerheim line were just sitting there going, are they ever coming? I mean, are they, I mean, even the outer positions, they were just sitting there going, are they coming? I mean, when, when are these guys actually showing up? And then they did. I mean, to be fair, but, um, yeah. So the Soviets, um, in that way gifted the Finns, all the ammunition and supplies that they could possibly have probably needed at that point. Um, I mean, that's a little tongue in cheek, but I mean, we're talking about Finland that, that had resources for 15, I've read between 15 and 45 days worth of supplies for war full stop. And this war went on for months, what, three or four months. And, yeah, they just kept going because they kept getting supplies. Now, part of that is because Western nations um, and other and Sweden, for example, um, so England, Sweden, and a bunch of other nations were sending supplies, weapons, food, medicine, uh, just you know, even people fighting. People volunteered to go into this, you know, winter hell um, to fight on the side of Finland to hold off Soviet aggression. So all of that's coming in, but huge chunks of the Finnish supplies literally come from Soviets. 
And that is reflected in the bolt action rules. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, before we actually get to the rules themselves, though, David, is there anything that you, else you want to talk about as far as the Winter War goes, um, short of how it ends? I mean, I know there's tons. God, there's like in, in, I have a 300 page book I was reading on this, so I could talk about it all day. But we should probably get to bolt action one of these days. Um, I think I think just that the, the, you you said at the start that there were sort of three different areas, and that the war was very different in those three areas. So the attacks on the Mannerheim line are really massive Soviet frontal charges against fixed positions. Um, generally ending horribly badly. Um, the attacks in the middle north of, um, uh, in the sort of uh, Lake Lagoda um, area are really uh, a, a Soviet attempt to outflank the Mannerheim line and sort of get in behind it. Um, and that's the area where they, they had the most opportunity to be flexible, but they ran into very stubborn Finnish resistance uh, from some of the better Finnish units. The U Finnish units in the Mannerheim line um, were not exactly, well, perhaps second class by Finnish standards. Yeah. Um, uh, and perhaps in bolt action terms, often best represented by regulars. Um, and then uh, you, there's a good argument for saying that, that in sort of uh, Lake Lagoda fighting, um, a lot of the Finnish units could then be rated as veteran because they tended to be some of the better units. And then in, in the far north, you had um, really uh, a lot of what could be described as the Finnish home guard. That's right. Who um, were their sissy units. That's right. And these were, these, the, these were people really, um, uh, well, I, I suppose um, of uh, you're in my age, largely. Um, who right. wouldn't normally be considered for military service. But these guys were overwhelmingly rural dwellers, many of whom had seen experience either in the First World War or in the uh, Finnish Civil War, who were experienced hunters, excellent skiers, and were fighting on their home ground. That's right. Um, and so they were astonishingly effective, given their, their, what most nations would have looked at as being relatively poor military material on the face of it. Definitely. Um, and that's, that's the part of the conflict where the White Death, the famous sniper, fought, right? Uh, yeah, I... I, I believe so. Although he may have been, he may may have been in the Lagoda region. To be honest, I um, uh, I can't actually remember. Um, mm. I'm, I might put up if I get a chance. Uh, I know I read it, and I meant to mention it on the podcast, and then I didn't write it down. <laughs> bad research, bad research. So, mm. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So, yeah, I I I I was I found that really fascinating. That. Um, the makeup of those squads, um, the guys who were fighting in that region, as you say, would have been, you know, just wouldn't have been considered for military service. And yet um, they were providing some of the staunchest resistance um, seen in the Winter War. Yeah, 
Um, and that, as I say, is, is largely because of the environmental factors um, and, and, you know, that they were on their, on their home ground. They may have been less effective if Finland had been attacking the Soviet Union for any reason. Um, but when, when you know your local terrain extremely well, um, particularly when that terrain might appear to an outsider to be just featureless snow-covered forest, um, very easy to get lost in. But if you're not going to get lost in that because you've been out there every day for 20 years, um, it's, um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a, that's a massive advantage, which I think they, they exploited to the full, really. Yeah, completely agreed. All right, so if we're actually talking bolt action here, I think it would make sense to actually look at the selector. Now, if we are looking for the Finnish army list, uh, for those of you playing the game at home, uh, you can find it in the armies of Italy and the Axis. Um, Now, on page 56 and 57 of that book is the Winter War Selector. So, if we turn to that, we see that um, clearly the the go-to squad is the Winter War Squad. And they sort of give you a couple of options beyond that. Now, the Winter War Squad is generally just a, is what you pretty much call a, a rifle squad. Um, it is mainly rifles. You can give your uh, sergeant, a your NCO, a submachine gun, or you can give someone in the squad an LMG. So it's not both. It's an or. And I definitely missed that the first time I read it. Um you can take it as a regular squad or a veteran squad. Um, now, of course, given the nature of the Winter War, you can give everyone improvised anti-tank grenades. Uh, so Molotov cocktails or birch logs for two points model, which is standard. Um, you can give everyone skis for a point, which no one in the universe should do, um, because why would you? Um, or you can give yourself tough fighter for one point, which is what probably everyone would do. Um I I mean, I think you and I both agree that Tough Fighter is too good for its cost. Um, so I may skip that part of the conversation. But uh, so that is the basically you have a rifle squad as your basic option. Now, you also have the option of Jakari uh, light infantry. And I'm pretty sure I'm massacring that. Um, Yakari, Jakari or Jaegers. So they are the more experienced hunter types. Um, They can take things, they are veteran, and they can take things like submachine guns, any number of them can take submachine guns, they can have a light machine gun. Um, Clearly, they're not going to be tooled up with lots of them because the Finns just didn't do that, especially in the Winter War. Um, They do have an option for Panzerfaust, but would you agree with me that if you were going to play this for reals um, and try and play something themed that they definitely wouldn't have Panzerfaust in 1939. No, no. The 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 the, the Panzerfaust is it's an excellent option for Finns because it is true that what people say that they have got certainly either the best infantry or amongst the best infantry options in the game. It's absolutely true. And then the Panzerfaust makes them even better. Agreed. Because it's very cheap and it gives you the thing that the Finns really lack, which is a good anti-tank option. 
True. Um, now, in the Winter War, yeah, Panzerfaust, they don't exist. Yeah. So that's, that's a continuation war option. And it it's is. why everybody, it's why I say everybody, almost everybody plays continuation war, to be honest, because you get Panzerfaust. And the obligatory BT-42. Exactly. Um, So, okay. But you can also, of course, you can also get the anti-tank grenades. Um, You can give them skis, which, again, you probably wouldn't. Now, interestingly, you can also give them bicycles. Clearly, I think this is, again, something for later in the war. I don't... Now, I have seen some really interesting pictures of ski... uh, Sorry. Thin ski troops with skis on their backs with bicycles in the snow. Um, I ha- I did not take a picture of it, but I have seen that picture in one of the books. I also have a picture on my phone of Finnish troops in white camouflage standing in snow on bicycles, um, which, if, which I oh, find mind-blowing. Yeah, but, but if, you, if, you, if you think about it, there are snow conditions um, where if you've, if you've got um, uh, relatively hard snow, so it, it's, it could be deep snow, but yeah. it, it's quite hard, so you're not sinking into it. Okay. Yeah, I'm on a rock. Oh, I get and it. And it's got a yeah. It's a slightly soft crust on it, but only very slightly. It's actually enough for bicycle tires to bite into, and so long as you are not faced with dramatically icy stretches of road or um, steep downhills. Yeah. Um, you're probably all right on a bicycle, actually. Yeah, I, I think uh, I wasn't going to say that maybe this is a, a thing to do in the Winter War, but maybe it is now that you mention it. I Yeah, I could, I'm definitely turned around by that logic, uh, especially having seen pictures of it. And what I find interesting is I was digging through um, the mountain of lead that I have in a drawer, and um, I pulled out a box, and I kind of forgot that I have a. I I pledged the the ill fated Baker Company. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Kickstarter years ago. But I actually got most of my Kickstarter, um, so I got the Finn stuff. Um, none of the vehicles, but I got all my infantry. And out of that, in that pile, I have a pile of fins on bikes in winter onesies. So I find that interesting so I, I may have to clean those up and paint them up for my thin winter war army now because i was looking at these going and that was the first time it even occurred to me to to even google search fins on bikes and yeah i was shocked i was like what, why are these guys in white like clearly this is a sculpting problem but clearly it's not and i'm i just am not thinking outside the box so these guys can take bicycles um, and of course, they can take Tough Fighter Yawn. And then we move on to the CCs. Now, the CC Recon Squads. Now, am I saying that right? CC, CC, CC. I, I, I think so. I don't know. To be honest. Okay. And my strong point. So these are the the legendary huntsmen that we were talking about before. Um, these guys are one point more veteran troops. So they're fourteen points a model. Anyone can have submachine guns, or you can have a rifle. Um, you can, again, one dude can have a light machine gun, um, and of course, you can give them anti-tank grenades. Of course, you can give them skis, and of course, you can give them tough fighters. Now, what makes these guys interesting 
is they have a rule that you get for that extra point, and it's called the master of the hunt. As very experienced hunters, uh, the CC can move into ambush position. So in other words, they're allowed to advance, and if they don't shoot, they can turn their die to ambush. Um, Now that's a really funky rule that I thought was neat until I actually played with it. Um, I've used my fins not that many times. Um, I, God, I think I'm up to my fourth game with them. And every time I play with them, I play around with different units because I'm still getting to know the list. But the last time I took some a few squads of these guys, and I was shocked at how effective that was. Just advancing up, going on ambush, and just being able to move and then put that pressure on my opponent to say, come at me and you're going to suffer... Um, it was really valuable. Um, sure, you're paying the points to make these guys veterans and to put them in your force, and you're paying that extra point for that rule, but that's a really, I mean, if you, that's a really valuable tool depending on your tabletop, if, if that's making sense. Now, you've run these guys. Uh, yeah. So this is all of the infantry choices for the army. I generally take mainly Winter War squads with the Jakari squad, and occasionally I've taken some CC squads. Is this the kind of thing? How do you run yours ballpark? Um, I've I've always gone for just running a, a, a force where all the squads are um, the CC veterans. Okay. Uh, so usually I've had six squads um, because the it's actually quite nice for all the people who obsess about proper tactical you know, organization and equipment, a theoretical organization and equipment charts, you know, the, yeah. the, the, that whole thing. Um, <laughs> because they were organized, those platoons, three eight-men squads, three six-men squads. Um, if they had enough light machine guns, the six-men squads had a light machine gun. Um, it, uh, the eight-men squads, uh, the NCO had a submachine gun. If they had enough submachine guns, right? Um, so I've tended to run them with one or two light machine guns, um, uh, two or three submachine guns um, on the biggest because the submachine gun option is really—it's a bit suboptimal for those squads, to be honest. Yeah, because they've got a fighter anyway. You're better with the extra rifle shot mm-hmm. because. You only get the plus one to hit from ambush with rifles. That's right. Um, but um, uh, yeah, so I've I've run um, I've run them uh, uh, six squads of 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 them, and uh, as I say, three eight man and three six man squads, which is um, uh, quite a heap of points. Really, if you, uh, you're 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 literally. At two thirds of your points, if you put tough fighters on stuff, yeah, 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 and that doesn't and include your LT. Now, however, in fact, yep, this is ahead. one of the few times when really having amongst those six squads one or two light machine guns would be fair enough because they were only ever meant to have three, and they had a crippling shortage of them. Exactly for those they were not high priority to get them. So bizarrely, it is the one time where being a bit gamey is actually it, it's it, it, it's it, it's it's very historical as well. 
Um, nice. Yeah, I've got two painted out of my 40. Um, and I'll be at mine are done, but um, they're getting closer. Um, but I have one fully painted and one half painted um, LMGs. I really need to get more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because they're they're great. And I mean, just being able to reach out and touch someone outside of rifle range in a fin list is actually I've found really useful. Um, yes, yeah. in that force. Yes, definitely. It is just those extra three shots when you're getting if you're an ambush. Um, you know, your your rifles might be at long range getting the plus one. Your light machine gun um isn't getting the plus one, but it's but it you know it it might be at normal range. So it yeah it can just get you an extra shot of which can be quite important. Um because you don't have in that list there isn't actually a lot of firepower in game terms. Right, you don't. You know, I mean, if you game the list, um, you can come up with some awful combinations, but you got to work at it, and it's going to end up being pretty ahistorical um, because these guys were really looking down the iron sights of their own rifles. Um, I mean, that was the most common way of stopping the Soviets. Yes. So, um, and the army special rules, by the way, should be mentioned. Um, I can't believe I probably haven't done this by now. They absolutely play into this. Now, there's the Sisu rule, um, which means that if you have a squad that's reduced to fifty percent or less of its starting, they go up to the next level. So, inexperienced become regular, regular become veterans, and veterans become super veterans, which are still wounded on five ups. But um, they have morale of 11, essentially. Um, the only, I believe that's the only unit in the game that does that. Maybe the Italians with their special rule. But the, the, Yeah, the Italian special rule is a bit different the way it's worded. The Finns, the veteran Finns actually go up to morale 11. Yeah, which is nuts. The, the Italians get a bonus to the roll. And then the question is, is 11 still a failure or not? And I mean... They're Italians. They've got enough going against them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Success, but I understand. You know that, that if if you if you go by the letter of what it says, eleven probably still is a failure for the Italians. But for the Finns, there's no question. You, you eleven becomes your morale, and that's often very important um, for the for the veterans. I mean, the rule is best for regulars. Because going from regular to veteran when you're at half strength is amazing. That's fantastic. It's so good. Especially if you're running eight-man squads or even nine-man squads. I usually run eight-man rifleman squads. And I've found yes. that you know, going down to four, it's all of a sudden I'm veteran. I'm like, wait, oh, it's just for free. Oh, this is amazing. It's really, really good. The veterans going up to morale 11 isn't nearly as much of a boost. Right. Um, Fins appear to me to be much more efficient when played as regulars. Yeah. For a and reasons. I, I think that yeah. is a big. Sorry, go ahead. So I was going to. I was just going to say that is a big one. That is one of the big reasons why. Excuse me. Playing them as regulars is um, uh, is the optimal way if you want to do it optimally. Um, 
because because that that boost up to veteran for all infantry units is just it's just it's it's immense. It is now. I as a guy who plays regular, I have to think carefully. I think every army bar my DAC and even that I run as half regular. I run regular rather than anything else. Um, I'm just a regular kind of guy. But I, I look at the fin list and. It point efficiency on regular versus I mean when you take that into account oh it's it's amazing I mean people talk about just, taking um was it Volksgren in the old German book um you know without the the point cost or the point bump for buying assault rifles and talking about how great they were because they were efficient because of the assault rifles and then they could possibly bump up. These guys don't have the assault rifles, but they're not inexperienced to start with. They are regular and to start with, and they jump unless up. you wipe unless you wipe the squad out, they're going to get that boost. Yeah, exactly. So, and one of the things I've noticed, and I haven't looked explicitly through the list with this in mind, but just occurred to me, it's and the rule even mentions inexperienced troops. But I don't think there's an inexperienced option in the list. I think everything is regular and veteran. Everything must be regular and veteran, which is quite right. Yeah, um, which is funny because the rule specifically mentions inexperienced, I guess, in case you added something. Um, like maybe the allied unit that was cut out in the FAQ. But <clears throat> we don't need to talk about that. So um, second rule is the trained huntsman. So if we look at trained huntsman it basically says and you mentioned this earlier as long as a finnish unit is on ambush um it has an ambush next to it it can re-roll morale checks now that's cool but what's even more cool is when it shoots all the models that are armed with rifles including snipers get plus one to hit now that's awesome now i know you've used this rule to good effect tell us about it yeah it's um it... It synergizes immensely well with the CC rule where you can move and go into ambush. Yeah. Oh, I would say that 100%. That, when I did it, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Wait, I get to hit you even better? How does this work? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as well, the, 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 particularly the combination, but even the being in ambush and being plus one to hit. So you've you got eight guys with rifles. Mm-hmm. Now, let's look at sensibly. If somebody assaults you, say, and you've got your eight guys with rifles, and you're on ambush, and you're hitting them on twos, you're probably going to get seven hits. Yeah. And let's say they're veterans, which, you know, they're probably going to be if they're assaulting you. And you've got eight guys. Probably going to be veterans who are assaulting you. So you're maybe going to kill two of them? Three of them if you're lucky? Yeah. I mean, it's good, but it's not it's not hugely immense. It's not it's not absolutely amazing. It's not so much better than the two guys you'll probably kill if you're hitting on threes, but psychologically it freaks people out. Yeah, it does. I actually got uh, Dave of War and I were playing. First time I took my fins out, put him down on the table against his legendarily effective Japanese, and I lined up a whole bunch of squads. I was able to advance up to a wall and had a couple of squads up against the wall on ambush. And he backed up. He, he mm. gave up. He was like, I'm not assaulting that. 
It's like, what do you no, mean? I, like- I don't even, I don't have tough fighter. These are just regular riflemen against a wall. And he's like, you get a plus one to hit. You're in cover. And he started doing the math. And I was like, dude, you're Japanese. You know, you a fanatic. Like, I, you're going to wipe me out. He's like, nope, not, not attacking. And I was, it's the only time I've ever seen Dave do that and just went, wow, that's amazing. It's strange because I've had a very similar experience uh, playing a Japanese player who space as soon as he realized it was Finns. Because in a, in a way, Finns are the perfect anti-Japanese army. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? Um, yeah. Um, but... Um, but it, it's, it, it, as I say, I, I don't think they're as bad as you think. What is bad is if maybe you get three of those squads very close to each other and suddenly you're looking at 24 rifles on ambush with plus one to hit. That's more serious firepower. Yeah. So if your enemy's got a key unit, he needs to move, maybe because a mortar's ranging in on it, and yet you know, you've got a couple of squads who could ambush him, even at long range... If he does move it, that gives him a very difficult choice. Especially with that plus one, absolutely. Yeah, and it's that plus one which will turn sixes on sixes into a, into a six. To oh hit. yeah, yeah, you're hundred percent right. Which 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 it can be which can be very useful um, if you know if the target's long range, hard cover, you know, it, and it's. Um, and it's a small team, and he moves it. Well, actually, if you've got eight shots, you might want to take a crack at that because yeah. you're only needing sixes, not sixes and sixes. I mean, you might not. It depends on the situation, but it can it can actually it, it can be more useful than it appears in some ways, and yet peculiarly, it's less useful than the immediately obvious thing about being an ambush ready to be charged, which is what everybody fears. Um, because you, you, you know, you, you're only getting the plus one to hit on rifles. If you've got a submachine gun, it's, it's, it's not going to be auto hitting. Right. Um, right. All right. Well, I, th- I kind of feel like we've covered the national rules. I mean, there's also the, you get the not minus one, for coming off, coming in from out flank, which of course matches their skiing coming in from the side. So what I was going to say, why don't you talk us through the the support choices? Because though the troops are absolutely essential to the way you play the Finns, um, I, I'd say maybe more so than almost any other army. I think that the support choices are kind of crucial in making sure that they work. Absolutely, yeah. the The supports are are quite limited, um, as they uh, as they should be, because they, they didn't have a um, have a great deal of um, of support. Right. Um, Something Walt that should I think should probably be mentioned though is because they were looting things left, right, and center, and because they were getting things from other nations. Um, there's a lot of really cool modeling opportunities for the winter war um, by mixing in, you know, different rifles from different armies, different artillery pieces, different AT guns. I mean, sure, they're all light AT guns or this, that, the other thing. But you, there is just lots of opportunities for mixing and matching and making something that looks 
really original, even if you are painting with yes. a lot of white. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, can, can I just say as a preamble to the talking about the infantry teams and the artillery and and and, and so on? Mm, um, please do. That, that I, uh, for me, and this is the only way I'm going to talk about this. So uh, it, it's fair enough. However, you want to build a list is fair enough with me, right? I'll play against anything, and it it's it's all right. But mm-hmm. for me, the list has got to have an internal coherency. It's got to feel like something plausible. Agreed. So the practice of taking veteran support units, particularly infantry teams, with um, with veteran squads. So you have veteran squads and then you take regular sniper, regular anti-tank and so on. That's very much a gameplay-driven thing. Those mm. teams are better. They're more cost-effective as regulars because of the way the game works. However, that's not the way I, I, I can't bring myself to build the lists like that other than in a very few specific circumstances where, where I, I, I can force is really mishmashed together. And even then, I've, I've difficulty with bits of it. But so far... So for the Finns, I would say if you are taking veteran squads, in my view, apart from possibly tanks and armored cars, everything else you have should be veteran. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And if you're taking regulars, you've got the option. If you want to take veteran supports, I think that's fine. Because in, in general, the better men are put on the more important weapons. The more reliable men are put on the more important weapons. The more experienced men are put on the more important weapons. It doesn't always happen, which is why I would say you've got the option. If you want to mix them about, I think the veterans, and as Finns, you're just going to take everything as regular because they'll go up to veteran and they're taking a casualty or two. Yeah. So, but, so anyway, you can have um, a medium machine gun team which um, is is a good historical option, um, particularly for the fighting on the Mannerheim line, yes. uh, where they, they, they tended to concentrate their major machine guns. But it's it's legitimate in, in, in any of the three areas of conflict. A medium machine gun team is a good, solid historical choice. One slight downside they have is being a three-man team they have to lose two men before they go up a level in morale. That's true. Yep. So you will be taking a morale test as soon as you've gone up that level. On the plus side, at least you've gone up a level of morale. Yep, this is true too. So, so if you've accumulated a pin or two, at least one of the pins is instigated. Um, yeah, so there's not a lot to say about major machine guns. And then there's the sniper team. Which I think is very interesting for the fit because the regular sniper is superior in every way to the veteran sniper. Yeah. And it they they yeah, also have the master of the hunt rule, which we talked about earlier. Yeah. They have the CC rule. Yeah. Now, if they didn't have master of the hunt, if the regular sniper was just a normal sniper without master of the hunt, that would be that would be an interesting choice to make. 
do you go for the expensive veteran who can move and go into ambush and then get plus one on his hit roll, which is great sniper? Mm-hmm. Or do you choose the regular who is cheaper and can do everything pretty much just as well, but wouldn't get that bonus? Um, for regulars, the sniper is a complete no-brainer. For a veteran force, the sniper costs nearly as much as a um, as a six-man squad. That's true. Well, technically it does for the regular as well, but it's so good that yeah, I see what you're saying. You can get you you know you can get a lot more regulars in anyway. With the regulars, you've got points in hand that you probably are going to want to spend on on a sniper Definitely. because you've got to try and list. Um, whereas with, with veterans, your support choices are going to be really, really limited if you've gone for five or six squads. And I think with Finns, I don't believe that the, the, the standard thing that says people people always say, oh, you should take four squads is a, is a minimum, really. Or three is a bare minimum. I don't think you need to in full action. But I think for Finns, you absolutely need to take at least four, and you should probably be taking five or six. Yeah, exactly. Which means if you want to have six, you need to take two platoons or take a theater selector that allows you to take that sixth squad. Yes. Um, And that means for veterans, you're really restricted on points for supports. So you're going to have to choose what support options you take quite carefully. Whereas for regulars, you can just go down a list throw them all in pretty much because you'll have the point yeah um so with the veterans i always take a sniper because it it feels wrong not to but i i i don't feel that from the gaming point of view he's necessarily that great a choice given that you're 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 you can have a sniper like effect with one of your six-man squads on ambush the only thing you're lacking is the extra range and the ability to remove the target of your choice. Mm, yeah, good point, actually. Yeah, now that you think about it, yeah. Um, which is good. I mean, it is useful. If you can hit an enemy officer and remove him, then that's, you know, that is great. Or a weapons team to remove it. That is great. Or an but observer. Just, yeah. Or an observer, yeah. But just in terms of you know, using your sniper to stick an extra pin on the unit, which is often what a sniper is very good at. For the Finnish infantry, another squad is for the snipers. It's it's not a no-brainer for the veterans. For the regulars, I, I would say it almost is a no-brainer. You should you should take one because you probably need it for like the points anyway. Um, exactly. They're really yeah, they're a really nice unit, and the master of the hunt makes them makes them very good. Again, I think often. One way people get rid of snipers is by putting a mortar on them. But with Master of the Hunt, if you come under mortar, well, you just move and go on ambush. So you move away and go on ambush. So it gives away the snipers who normally can't move and shoot a way to move and shoot. So that makes them extra good. And they do cost more. They, they're five points more for regular and I think seven for veteran. But still, I mean, I'll pay that. Yes, yeah, um, it's it's uh, yeah, it's 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 very useful. Um, and the other thing as well is, and this applies to the squad, the great advantage of moving, going to ambushes. If your enemy goes right, I'm just going to shoot you with anything. That'll teach you. You just go down. 
Yeah. Which is awesome. Which is great. Uh, and in fact, I think the best bit about that rule. And that's one reason why people agitate for being able to advance and go down. Right? That mm-hmm. That's not necessarily something to put into the game just as a, everybody can do this thing because it's potentially really, really useful. Yeah, I really... Mm, I see what you're saying. Absolutely. You know, because people like it as a tactical choice that you could make as a, you know, as a run move. Mm. So you don't fire, but you, 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 you advance half the distance and you go down. It's like a tactical run. And yeah, conceptually, it's brilliant. But it is so good for the Finns that I think that giving it to everyone that ability to move into cover and go down is particularly for units that are kind of tough fightery and veteran and are getting onto an objective. It's, it's kind of brutal. It is. It's a, it is potentially a lot nastier in the game than it appears to be superficially. But anyway, getting back onto the, um, mm. anti-tank rifle team. Oh yeah. Now I think, you must take one of these because your heavy weapons are going to be so limited. Yes, and these and they were fairly prolific in the war. It wasn't like they were rare as hen's teeth like some of the other anti-tank weapons were. Anti-tank rifles were all over the place in the Winter War. Um, the Finnish not only made some, uh, of the British sent them a bunch. Uh, and of course, different people talk about different types. Um... Uh, and different amounts, but from what I've read, they were far more prolific than, say, for example, light AT guns. Yes, I mean the 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 the, the anti tank rifle is something that you can legitimately stick in your platoon and not really worry about whether they might have had one or not. Right. Um, they 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 had uh, enough that it's not an unreasonable thing put one in your force as a matter of course um and because it is it is heavy weapons where the fins are particularly deficient in infantry they're marvelous you can get plenty heavy weapons is where you struggle so i i think the the anti-tank rifle team being the, the first of the heavy weapon options it's cheap and it's useful it's useful even if your enemy doesn't have any armor yeah, and likewise, they, um, I think they used tons of medium mortars. I, I know I'm jumping ahead to the next slot here, but the this selector allows you to use light or medium mortars. Now, light mortars and heavy mortars in particular were pretty rare in the Winter War because they were being taken from the Soviets. But medium mortars were coming in from all over the place, and they were far more common. Yeah, again, I think I think a medium mortar is um, is fair enough. It's remarkably useful, uh, I find, in the game as anti-tank. Mm. Um, with the fins, for me, your squads, your sniper, they're, they're going to do the anti-infantry stuff. You might, if your if your enemy's got a nasty howitzer or something like that, you might want to drop your mortar on that but if he's got a tank that's what your mortar's for because it's going to hit him on the top armor that makes the sense. point isn't to, the point isn't to destroy it it's to hope to put two pins on it because you can bet you'll have taken it as regular yeah. and he's probably only 
he's probably only taken a second lieutenant because everybody thinks that you don't need first lieutenants. <laughs> now, by the time you've double tapped him with the mortar, he's probably going to have three pins on him. He's getting quite likely to fail an orders test. True. The irritating thing at that point is that when he fails the orders test, he will reverse. Yes. Bye-bye. Move your mortar's ranged in, you're great, and then he reverses away, and it makes me grind my teeth every time. Yes. So I'm just ranged in the swine. Um, but what you do is ideally you try and then double tap that tank with your anti tank rifle, who maybe is only going to put a pin on 50 50 and your mortar, and you try and shut it out again using those two things combined which are, if you're using regulars, that's costing you less than 100 points. Yeah, exactly. And depending so, on the tank that you're putting out, that's that, yeah. it's usually a lot more than 100 points. And even if it's an enemy armored car, you're treading point for point. True. Depending on the armored uh, car, you're coming out ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it 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 is it's a it's a much more viable way, and people worry as well. People worry about them, especially if they've got armor eight, which is quite common. Well, medium mortar hitting armor eight on the top—that's quite likely to get a roll on the damage table. Not super likely, but it, it's you know it's not needing a six. True, it's going to fight for a six. The anti-tank rifle is going to put a pin on it regardless, unless it's at long range, um, it's going to put a pin on it if it hits. Those two things combined are going to make light armor worry, so long as it's just one light armor. You probably find medium armor doesn't worry as much, but then runs itself into more trouble because it's ignored you. Exactly. It It hasn't worried about you enough. Heavy armor... Well, that's consuming so many points that you're going to beat the enemy infantry. Exactly. Unless, yeah. And if they have one of those heavy, like a KV-2 that's super heavy with a big gun that is hard to ignore, well, it's that's when you start playing the run, hide, and go down thing and then wiping out the infantry as you come to it. I mean, there's tactically, there's ways to get around these things. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you're not going to have a lot of options, except, again, those tanks are almost certainly going to have been taken as regulars. So you do at least have a chance of pinning them. This is true. Very true. Yeah. Which isn't to, which isn't to be sniffed at. Because, as I say, people always take regular tanks if they're heavies, or almost always. And generally speaking, they don't support them with their officer. And even if they do, he's only a, first, he's only a second lieutenant. That's right. So, so you know, it, it's when you've got no other options... And with Finns, you tend to have no other options. Just you understand, you begin to understand just how often actually sticking an odd pin on a regular vehicle does pay off. And when you get two pins on that vehicle, even if it activates, it's minus one to hit. And then if its target, if its targets have gone down, it's minus two to hit. That's right. All adds. That's exactly Um, right. Every modifier counts. I could not agree with what you just said more. And that is how you deal with those things like KB2s or IS2s. You throw some pins on them, even if it's a couple, and all of a sudden their effectiveness goes way down. So, yeah, especially with those big scary guns. 
could not yeah. agree more. And so you get, you'll get the odd game where they just pass their orders test and they steamroll you. But you know, that's that that's that doesn't mean you have to then as a finished player resort to doing something else like going continuation war and taking panzer fasts. Yes. Agreed. Um, well, let's talk about another way of dealing with these things. Let's talk about the artillery slots. Why don't you go ahead? Okay, so you can have a light anti-tank gun. Um, it's not a bad choice, particularly as veteran. Agreed. Because as veteran, it's 60 points, not 50. Um, and it's just heaps more survivable. Um, and when it gets to, because you know, I've got a gun shield, it's fine, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, not when it snipes it, it isn't fine. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes, as well, you know, if, if you just start taking one or two pins on the thing, that extra point of morale for 10 points, I, I quite like them as veteran. I, I think the regular, they're absolutely fine, and in a way, there's no reason not to take them as regular, but I actually like them for the Finns as veterans. Yeah, I because, could definitely see that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. So I was just going to say, because your heavy weapons are, are you really haven't got very many of them. They're such a precious asset that it's worth spending the extra points. Mm, Unlike all the other armies. Now, unfortunately, because of the nature of the way anti-tank weapons and how it's as costed in the game, yes. I don't think that taking an anti-tank gun is better than taking a light howitzer. I think the light howitzer is the superior option. Yep. Because it, because it can fire indirect. And so now, if you're teaming up your light howitzer and your medium mortar and your anti-tank rifle against your enemy tank, suddenly he's not looking quite so clever. Yeah, exactly. And of course, a lot of people, especially with Continuation War, start creeping towards... I mean, it, it's even in the selector for Winter War, start creeping towards Big HE as a way of solving problems um, in the form of medium or heavy artillery because they they throw out the pins. You're able to... I mean, if you look at a heavy artillery piece you're, or a heavy howitzer, you're going to be kicking out D6 pins per hit. I mean, that's going to put a dent in literally any tank you hit. Um so now, I, I know that people love to talk about that, but you're spending, I mean, you're spending the points for it too. Given the Finns' strength as an anti-infantry force, I'm, even if you don't take Tough Fighter, I'm more inclined for the points to take two AT, light AT guns than a heavy artillery piece. Maybe. I look at it a slightly different way um, because the the heavy autocannon um, on the heavy AA gun, um, these were used in the Winter War, and they were around um, because the Swedish made them, and they handed them over in droves. Um, so the light AA gun, not so much in the Winter War. Um, there were a few, but the the heavy one was far more common. And a heavy autocannon? Hey, man, for... 60 points at regular, 72 points veteran, that's not so bad. That will put out some pins at some distance. Um, You can get a horse-drawn limber 
for five points to push these dudes on. Was it five or ten points? Ten points um, to push these dudes on, and then you're ready to go. Yeah, um, I mean, on the on the artillery, I think a light howitzer. Uh, there's not really any problem in throwing a light howitzer in your force. Mm. Pretty much any of the areas they were a lot rarer further north, but then Agreed. they did use them on they did use them on sleds. So it's not it's you know it's fine. True. Medium and heavy, medium and heavies strictly defending the Manaheim line. Yeah, agreed. Not else. So I would say with that in general, you should be looking at running them if you're going to run them with a re- with, with with a regular force. And one not that maybe not wearing all white Windsor onesies. Those were more the ones running around in the woods. The guys manning the big guns would probably be wearing the gray uniforms. Yeah, I mean they're going to be you know a long way behind the lines in in um, you know in, um, in, in in real life terms in historical terms. So yeah, there, there's there's no particular need for them to uh, to be wearing to be wearing um, camouflage uniform. I I, I feel. That I agree with you entirely about the, the, the heavy howitzer. I think it's redundant for the Finns. The medium howitzer is obviously going to be a very popular choice because you get the plus three and it puts dice three pins on and it costs 75 points or 90 points and you can take a spotter. Because the Finns have got a lot of advantages potentially with their infantry, I almost feel like putting in medium and heavy howitzer, certainly a medium howitzer, is it. it it's almost a bit like going on to easy mode, if I can upset people by saying that. Hey, I agree um, completely. Um, I've, I, 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 I've found playing my fins that the only way... Um, actually, at times I found playing them almost boring because they, they almost gave the orders to themselves in any given situation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so decision making was massively reduced just because the squads are so versatile and can do so many things and it becomes quite obvious quite quickly what the thing to do in any given situation is or most situations mm. is the only decision making you sometimes have to do is what should i do first um but so so then making other decisions kind of easier again by bringing in something as versatile as a medium howitzer I think it's 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 potentially taking away from your own challenge in the game to an extent. But mm. they're they're a very good they're a very good gameplay option. As I say, I think historically, really, you you you're 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 limited in your theater of operations with the medium howitzer. I completely agree with you. The the heavy anti aircraft gun is 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 an amazing option for the Finns. It's an amazing option for anyone. Actually, the downside, the downside being that um, under normal rules, they, they are completely fixed. They can't move without a tall. Um, right. And that advantage. But they've got superb range. They get two shots, which is amazing. Marvelous. Um, they're not often going to be at long range against armor because they're, 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 they're 72 inch to 36 inch range in general. They're, they're, they're going to be a threat to medium armor and, um, uh, and below. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
yeah, you've got the option of using HE with them, um, but in general, just blasting out two shots at plus three penetration against virtually any target is um, is is pretty much the best option. Um, so, so yeah, I agree with you. They're, um, now, uh, if you, I know one of the other things that I found um, when I was digging through my my Kickstarter pledge was I discovered that I have a reindeer pulled sleigh with what looks like an old crone on the back with some sort of monstrously melted features. <clears throat> that may have been the casting. Um, but what I was thinking was that could make, if I added a couple of reindeer to it, that could make a pretty funny toe for my um, my bofers. I don't know. I, I clearly, it's it's not actually what actually happened. But you know, given no, that one, one of my objectives for my Finn army is a snowman, it is that sure. kind of thing. But I, I think I think with the, with the reindeer, people almost would expect it for a fin force. So you really should do it, even if it isn't quite appropriate for the gun you're going to be. Toy. You know, it's just, yeah. it's, I think it's something. Did you also know that you do actually get red nosed reindeer? <laughs> what? The, 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 the reindeer, they can have um, a, a, a pigment deficiency. Really? It's, it, it's not horribly rare, it's not massively common, but it is, it, if you, 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 they, do, they do have them. You can, they're, they're not bright red. But they're they they have pink noses, That's so you awesome. can have a, can have a red nosed reindeer for your fins. Perfectly legitimate and biologically accurate. Um, yeah, you should do it. Oh, totally. Oh, that's happening. That's amazing. I love it. So good. Well, dude, all right, hold on. We're getting off topic now. So, okay, now um, we sort of covered the the all the support options. Um, let's talk vehicles. So we have, um, if we look at tanks and assault guns, you basically get two options in the Winter War. You get tankettes, um, which is either the, the T-26 or the Vickers six-ton, um, both of which um, are pretty straightforward. It's the mini tank with the two separate turret MMGs for 70 points, which are pretty damn effective. Um, or you can add 35 points to make it a single turret with a light AT gun. Now, those are straight standard tanks. Um, they don't have the rule that quite a few people seem to bellyache about, the unreliable. Um, the other option, of course, is the T-28, the, the, the school bus on tracks. Um, I having actually put one of these things together and painted it, it's ridiculous how big this thing is. I mean, I know it's not a T-35, but it's huge. Um, so it's hot. It's hard to hide. Um, but it gets a discount because it's unreliable. Now, unreliable, a lot of people have complained about. And I get it. It's, it's a tough rule. So if a vehicle suffers one or more pins it automatically suffers an additional pin. So, ouch. Taking double pins sucks. But uh, having used unreliable vehicles before, um, as long as you're not really, you're like absolutely relying on unreliable vehicles to win you the game, they're fine. They're a tool. 
And when you get a discount to it, I feel like that makes that that's almost okay. I mean, what do you think? Um, I, 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 the reason I don't like the unreliable rule for vehicles is I feel it's modeling the wrong thing. They should oh, be more prone. Right. To, yeah, go they ahead. Should more prone, they should be more prone to breaking down, or a gun not working, or that sort of thing, because they're unreliable. The way the unreliable rule works with the extra pin makes them more like shirkers, which I I don't feel is quite right. But I agree with you. It isn't necessarily the end of the world, particularly for a tank which has a turret-mounted light howitzer. Agreed. Which can fire in direct. So Absolutely agreed. Um, and also a plethora of machine guns. Yeah. So even if you are needing sixes and sixes to hit, you've at least got a chance of putting a pin out and it's a big tank, as you said. So what is it? It's mobile hardcover for your exactly. squads. Exactly. I think it's brilliant. I am looking forward to putting... I've never actually used a D28 um, in a fin list, but I am looking forward to putting that down with this army and seeing what it does. Um, I think, I think to be fair, you need to make sure you take a first lieutenant with it. But as I keep saying, everybody should be taking first lieutenants anyway because they're better. They're worth twenty-five points more. Don't you understand? How do you really Why feel? You work. It does. You just need good officers. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> right on. All right. So those are your two options with the tanks. Look, having run T twenty sixes, the little ones with the light AT gun in the turret, um, with the uh, without the unreliable rule. Um, in my Chinese list, and I, I loved it. I thought it was a great little tank that just went around, throwing um, throwing holes in the sides of big tanks that ignored them, and just generally annoying people. Yeah, it's one. It's a wonderful little tank, and I love it, especially since it's so cheap. Um, if I could somehow, in my Winter War Force, and I may have to do this over two platoons, if I could somehow get AT-26 and AT-28, I think I would quite enjoy that. Um, tactically, yeah. I think that'd be fun. I think I think I, I, I quite like the one with the two light machine guns for the fins. Oh, it's so good. It's yeah, I mean, it's not broken, but it's good. If your enemy's got a tank, he's 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 really... If he just ignores it because he thinks, well, it can't hurt my tank, you've got other elements in your force that are going to be concentrating on his tank. You know, you've got your mortar, you've got your anti-tank rifle, and so on. So you still deal with that tank exactly the same way. But if he ignores it, you've almost certainly got something that can basically walk up in front of one of his infantry squads and hose it down with machine guns. Agreed. Agreed. So it's all forcing his tank to destroy it, which will probably take a couple of turns at least, which is then means his tank is less of a threat against your infantry because it's spent two turns taking out this 70 points Exactly. Which is why um, I'm looking at the T-26 with the, with the AT gun, thinking, well, if I use the AT gun to put pressure on a tank, it might actually damage or knock out the tank. Or it may just be a threat enough that people are firing their KV-2 at my 100-point tank, which I'm happy to have them shoot at, because it means my yeah. infantry are getting to the objectives, which is what they need to do. Yeah. So yeah. half a dozen of you know one, six of another, I mean, same difference. It's just it's how you play it and how you build your list. It's, it's that whole, it's tactics. Yes. 
Um, and I, I almost think, actually, you know, just returning to the T28, um, you should take it as veteran because it's got unreliable. Mm, that's not a bad idea, actually, because it's not that much more. It's, what, 26 points more? It's only 26 points more. You know, really take it as veteran. Because that extra point of morale is going to be huge. Agreed. Agreed. Well, if we if we move on to the armored cars, again, there's only two choices. The, and they're both Soviet. There's the BA-10 and the BA-20. Both of these were used extensive, extensively throughout you know, the Winter War um, as they were just picked up off of <clears throat> dead Soviets. Um, now, the BA-10 I have not played around with, but the more I look at... Um, the more I'm starting to like the look of in the fin list because even though it's unreliable, it's got a light AT gun and a turret, which means that you can outflank with this thing or you can just come on with it from reserve and take a sneaky shot at a tank that is otherwise giving you a headache for 95 points or 114. it's a better choice than the um, than, than the upgraded tankette. Oh, I don't know. I like my upgraded tankette, but to be fair, they're the same armor, and this is cheaper. So it's it, got and it, and it, and it, it's, it's got recce. It might be unreliable, but who cares? It's got recce. So um, the one that I always take, though, um, my baby, my favorite, is the BA twenty. Now, a lot of people look at this and go, "This is stupid. Why would you take that?" It's a light uh, machine gun turreted armored car um, that is in a, you know, armored car with recce and unreliable. But what's great about it is it's 48 points veteran or 40 points regular. Um, It is cheap as, it's almost as cheap as an AT rifle. I'm sorry, an anti tank rifle, yeah. And it just drives around getting on objectives. And think, otherwise, uh, causing a bit of a in a in a list where everything tends to be kind of expensive, forty points for a mobile thing with wheels, and I love wheels on roads. You can just get all over the place. It's annoying. It's not. It's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I was just going to say, if I remember rightly, at one of the Welsh Opens, Rich parked it in front of a howitzer. Yeah, that would do it. You know, he, 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 he just he just ran out of parking in front, blocked the line of sight, was like, right, okay, destroy it by all means, and then spent two turns moving your gun. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, Have fun with round that. Roundabout out of the way. So, yeah, all right, cool. Well, um, look, as far as the armored cars go, I think that they're pretty, pretty... God, I just I think all four of those options for the tanks and the armored cars are great. I again, it makes me want to take two platoons and take one of each of everything. Um, but again, you can go down to transports. There's the obligatory truck, which I think is pretty useful in a fin list, depending on how you build your list, because it really lets you to get out. I mean, a lot of the fin stuff. I mean, maybe not because fins. If you're running a CC heavy force, are you know move ambush move ambush move ambush right so maybe you don't need the mobility but god i love wheeled vehicles that you can move dudes in i just i don't know what do you think you don't have my bias yeah i used to i used to use trucks um quite a lot uh and i've 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 stopped using them um not for any particular reason um really but i think i i I, I don't know i I, I find with fins that that 
because I, I've tended to play the, the, the veteran Finns um, in a theatre where they wouldn't really have used trucks anyway. It didn't, it didn't sort of come come into my head uh, as an option. I almost feel you have enough infantry that even if you have to run a couple of squads, you know, for a couple of turns, losing mm. their firepower, that it's not as debilitating as it might be if you, you know, for some other armies where your infantry are maybe maybe a bit more limited. Um, I think, yeah, again, given you're going to be short of order dice, my, my one worry about a truck is it's a very good way of getting a squad crippled early in the game if you're not careful. Yes, agreed. Um, and as you're going to be short on order dice, you're not necessarily going to have that thing where, haha, great, the last two order dice are mine. So I bring on my truck and then I get out, I get the men out of it and I'm up the table with impunity. I mean, it could happen, but. Um, yeah, but it's unlikely. It's, it's, it's more yeah, unlikely. It's, it's, yeah, it's less likely. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I personally, I don't. I'm not a great fan of vehicles in finish lists, although I do think you can, in the Winter War lists anyway, although I do think you can use them all, as as we've said. You, know, you can use them all effectively. It's not that they're bad options. Um, I I just um, uh, I've, I've, I've preferred one, just the infantry. Um, the the yeah um yeah so yeah absolutely that's the flavor of your force and um but i mean that is very historic too it matches the way the Finns actually fought in the winter war um yeah and it's partly just because i haven't really read many accounts of the finnish tanks in action as it were whereas there's loads and loads of accounts of the um uh uh you know the finnish infantry uh, in action, so it's, it's, yeah, it's possibly. Uh, I, I don't feel they're quite as inspiring for me um, somehow. Tanks, yeah. Um, well, uh, and yeah. I do feel that the unreliable rule is wrong. I agree with you; it's not as bad, uh, it, it, certainly for the Finns, as it is um, as it's generally perceived to be. But I just think it's the wrong rule. It doesn't work the way it should. I do agree with that completely, uh, and I'm not saying it's a great rule, but um, I, I think that there's, I think that a lot of people who complain about it um, maybe haven't played with it um, all that much. Um, I think that there's room for experimentation. Now, before we wrap up and call it a day, there are two more options in the list. We have the artillery tow, the obligatory ob- ob- artillery tractor, um, which you know, is essential if you're going to run the Bofors, at least until I got my crazy reindeer idea, and or the ye old T20, um, and I never say this right, the Com Som Olets um, Finnish, or not Finnish, uh, Soviet tractor that they used for to tow Finn stuff around. Now, in the Finn list, I love this thing. Um, in the Soviet list, not so much. I've talked about this before. In the Finnish in the list, you get it for 35 points. It is essentially, it's got a light machine gun. It's a, it's basically a slow, it's not even slow. It's a crappy open-topped armored vehicle um, that carries up to six dudes. It's a great for 35 points, regular. 
I, I love this thing. I think it's sensationally crap. It's got the unreliable rule. It's open-topped. It's going to take all the pins in the world. But, um, hey, if you're using the .NET rules, you get to drive around a crappy, low-slung, light machine gun carrier for 35 points, put it behind a wall, and just shoot at people. Meh. Yeah, or, or use it as mobile cover. Exactly. Again. Again, exactly. 100% agree with that. Yeah. It, uh, um, or 42 points veteran. Ooh. Um, yeah. It's, it, it looks like fun. Um, not to mention I have one, and it's small, and it, it's just cool, and I just want to paint it. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm probably going to uh, trial that. I mean, it's, again, not OP, not game-winning, um, but a neat, a, a neat little option that is otherwise just hanging out in a part of the list that I usually don't look at, um, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, fun. Well, Dave, um, I, it is officially past my bedtime, and I think my wife is trying to sleep through me being extremely loud, um, which is why I'm kind, kind of whispering and have been for a while. Um, do you have any final thoughts on the Winter War um, before we wrap up? Uh, not specifically. Uh, there was a book I was going to mention. Oh, that's Bible. right. Please Just, do. Yeah, it's relatively new. It was discussed on the on the WWPD.net forums uh, a wee while ago, be over a year ago now. It's called The War of the White Death, um, Finland against the Soviet Union, 1939 to 40. Uh, it's by a Russian, uh, and I'm going to hideously mispronounce his name, sorry, um, Bear, B-A-I-R, um, Irinchev, I-R-I-N-C-H-E-E-V, um, and it's excellent. It's um, based on eyewitness testimony, war diaries, battle reports, and other records from Finnish and Russian archives, and it's the Russian perspective on it that um, has often been slightly lacking from um, some other uh, accounts. Yeah, they don't like uh, to talk about the Winter War so much. Yeah. Um, so it's it's quite expensive for what it is, because I think it's only available in hardback. But it is actually, it's a really, really good book. I'd thoroughly recommend it. Um, and um, I'll try and dig out, uh, you should be able to find it on Amazon, but um, I'll try and dig out a link for the, um, the the forum thread as well. If you, I don't know if you want to put that on Facebook or something like that. Oh, absolutely. If you can find that, I'd love to put that up. Sure. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. And um, for those I'm looking for something easier to find, Osprey does several excellent smaller books on both Finland in the Winter War, I'm looking at Finland at War, 1939 to 1945, and they just put out a book, The Finnish Soldier versus the Soviet Soldier, in their Versus series. Both of those are excellent smaller books, and if you're looking for an excellent hardback um, coffee table book, um, The Finland at War, Volume 1, is entirely about the Winter War. Um, again, it's by Osprey. You can find it on their website. I think Warlord was selling it for a limited time. It's an excellent book. I really enjoyed reading that. Um, and that gave me a huge amount of background on the whole conflict. Um, and if you Google search 
podcast Winter War, there's some really entertaining and really historically interesting podcasts on the subject as well, not to mention quite a few documentaries. There's just, and it, 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 it seems to only have been, this information only seems to have come around in recent years because back in the, just a couple of years ago when I first learned about the Winter War, I could only find maybe one documentary on the topic and now there's just oodles of information compared to what used to be out there. So yeah, it, it's a great time to do some history, I suppose. Now guys, this is Brad, modern Brad back. I just wanted to take a second to thank you for uh, listening to this delve back through history. We've recently dug through and found almost all of the missing Ghost Army podcasts from the early days. If you are interested in having those reissued on the Cast Dice Podcast Network, uh, if you could message the page uh, or like this post or comment on it if you've seen it on Facebook, it has been a real blast to uh, to go back and listen to some of the deep crunch conversations that we used to have about uh, you know bolt action and historical conflicts, but from a more historical setting rather than a just meta conversation. Uh, Guys, thank you very much for listening. And again, thank you to David Hunter for being on the show way back when. Dave, wherever you are during these crazy days of COVID, I hope you were well. Uh, Guys, I guess that just leaves the the old famous expression that we say on Cast Dice these days, though we didn't say it on in the LRDG two days because we didn't know Casey yet. I think it is important that no matter what, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice and the LRDG2 hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Dream.